Hey, one more thing before you go. Do you want to know what it's like working as a woman in a male-dominated environment such as the Secret Service? How do you get there? What do you do once you get there? How do you overcome the thick testosterone in the air? Stay tuned because in this episode, we're going to have a conversation with a woman who dreamed of being an FBI agent at a very young age. She went on to work as a Secret Service agent in the White House, no less to being an author of her first book, Talk Back Barbie, the Secret Service Edition, where you get a first-hand account of how she handled it all. I'm your host, Michael Hurst, and this is The Thing About Talk Back Barbie. Lauren Lusby Fernandez graduated from Virginia Tech with a political science and a pre-law degree. She went to work for the Secret Service in Washington, D.C. She trained at the Elite Federal Law Enforcement Training Center as well as the James J. Rowley Training Center. She's been a consultant at a firm in McLean, Virginia. She's worked with the Department of State, the CIA, and National Counterterrorism Center, as well as other intelligence communities. In January of 2021, she self-published her first book, Talk Back Barbie, The Secret Service Edition. It's a comedy about her experience working with the Secret Service as a girly girl, as she calls it, and how she got where she is today. Her life motto is, if you trip and fall, laugh first then get up and keep going, because the only way you fail is to never get up. This is One More Thing Before You Go. Welcome to the show, Lauren. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You know, I I really appreciate your background and where you've come from, and I'm really intrigued by your nickname, which we'll get into, and uh, how you acquired (laughs) that, and and how how you went from, from Secret Service to an author. Yeah. I think it's amazing. Well, I appreciate it. And I respect your background as well. I think you are incredible for what you went through. Thank you very much. Thank you. We, we, we share a bond, a law enforcement bond. It's, mm-hmm. uh, your, yours was a little, uh, yours was really interesting. Mine was okay interesting, but yours is really interesting. <laughs> well, I made it interesting only because I couldn't keep my mouth shut and I was always in trouble. So I have a whole different take on law enforcement than you probably did. You were probably way more serious. <laughs> well, sometimes we still had fun. It was, it was the uh, the cop humor still played its part. Uh, through, you do my career. <laughs> yeah, uh, so. well, that's what's so funny. The book does shed a lot of that. The background of law enforcement, that the side of it that nobody sees. They don't see the pranks and the jokes and everything like that that we do behind the scenes. They see us mm-hmm. when we're serious. Yep, the human side. The human side. We're human. We're all human. Mm-hmm. So let's kind of start at the beginning. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. So I was born and raised in Georgia, and that's actually where I am now. But after college, I moved up to Northern Virginia and started working with the Secret Service. And I went to so, Virginia Tech, and I graduated with a po- uh, political science degree. So before, let's go back just a little bit. Do you have any brothers and sisters? Yeah. I do. I have one sister. So it's just her and I. She was actually a news reporter. She was. She lived in Texas, California, and Florida. A whole bunch of different places. I know you and your sister got in a little bit of trouble when you were younger. I read that in part of the book that you sent me, and um, we're going to talk about that here in a little bit because she kind of covered your butt. She did. She was very good at that. 
So did you, did you always want to be a, an FBI agent? I did. So at the age of 10, I decided I wanted to work for the FBI. My dad was never let us down. Like he constantly was asking us, what do you want to do with your life? What do you want to be? Where do you want to go grow up? What do you, when you grow up, what do you want to do? And so I had to have an answer. So I'm constantly thinking and I'm like, well, I can't really be a waitress. I can't do this. What interested me? And what interested me was law enforcement. I saw all the TV shows. I read all the books and that was so exciting. So I decided at age 10, I was going to be an FBI agent and work for the violent crimes unit. I wanted to solve crimes, especially about serial killers. For some reason, their mindset really interested me. And that was something that I set off to do. So my whole path forward at after age 10 was to become an FBI agent. That's one reason I couldn't get in trouble. I got in trouble with little things, but legally in trouble. So hence the story you're talking about with my sister. I couldn't get arrested for trespassing. <laughs> no, arrested for trespassing would not be a good a good way to get into law enforcement. No. It, it wouldn't do that way. Um, yeah, you. Uh, it's an interesting approach wanting to be uh, an investigator at that early age, especially with something like uh, investigating serial killers. Did you even think about going into profiling in the FBI? Is that what you were interested in? Yes, all of that. So, I mean, I was just going to kind of take a route and figure it out. I mean, obviously at 10, you're too young to understand what all that involves and what's all involved in becoming an FBI agent, but it just excited me. I also knew it was going to be challenging. I was into a lot of sports when I was younger, so I was physically active. So I knew that being a good athlete was going to benefit me in the future. I knew that I was going to be able to accomplish all the physical sides of law enforcement because of my background in sports. Now, can I ask why you, now obviously you know that I'm a retired law enforcement sergeant and from uh -huh. the time when I was young, my father was a journalist. Every, my family wanted me to be a journalist. Mm. And I, went, mm -hmm. I tried it and I kind of went to school for it in the beginning. And, and I said, nah, you know, I really want to be a cop. And, yeah. and it just intrigued me to be a law enforcement officer. And I wanted to be a sergeant and, and, and exactly. on the line. So why not regular law enforcement? Why the FBI? I did look at regular law enforcement, and that was a goal as well. But I, my dad just kept striving the point that if you're going to go and be in law enforcement, he's like, go federal. Federal, they, had, they made a little bit more money, but they had a little bit more jurisdiction, and there was just a lot more involved. And so he kind of pushed me and, and said, suggested that I go federal. I obviously, I did intern with the Gwinnett County Police Department here in Georgia. And I interned with the Gwinnett County um, District's Attorney's Office as well. So I did get background with local police departments before, obviously, I joined the Secret Service. This was my background, my internships right. to put on my resume to go and apply for the Secret Service. So you went to college. But you didn't. Mm -hmm. Your your major wasn't law enforcement or criminal justice. It was, yeah. it was computer. It was political science. Political science. Yes. So uh, well, political science, legal studies. So basically, pre law. Pre law. So you feel, mm -hmm. is it now? We all we as well, I'll just say regular law enforcement. We always thought the FBI. They're the elite of the law enforcement, right? You look up to the FBI. Correct. Even so that's one reason. Right. I wanted to be like 
the elite. Like if I was going to be in law enforcement, I wanted to be the one that everybody wanted to be, which was the FBI. Like if you think of the FBI, everyone just thinks you are just a powerhouse. Like you can rule the world kind of thing. And so I think to me, that was very interesting and excited me to know that I would be part of an elite group. Yeah, it's interesting. Every time one uh, guy would show up, I worked several task forces. And when the mm -hmm. FBI used to show up um, to, as part of the investigation, it was like everybody kind of looked at the guy walking in the room or the woman walking in the room. Yes. You, you know, just wanted that jacket with the big yellow <laughs> FBI on the back. <laughs> exactly. It's like, come on, man. I just, you know, just, just let me, just let me go work for just a, just a day, just a day. I know. That's so, why I wanted to have such a clean and perfect record because they're so strict and, and it's an intensive selection process. And the reason I did pre-law was because at the time, I'm sure they're different now because this was 15 years ago, but at the time they only, they wanted people who had four ma different majors. They wanted computer science. They wanted lawyers. They wanted, what was the other one? Uh, biochemistry. And they wanted accountants because they needed those for specialties, you know? And so it was something I tried to do. So when I went to college, I tried all four of those majors. And that's the comedy in the book is that I was not cut out to do any of those majors. I wanted something to stand out and pop on my resume. And I couldn't accomplish it because I couldn't pass the classes. So I ended up discovering that I was good at writing and reading. And that's why I went the political science route because there was a lot of reading and writing. And I was good at that. Hence, I ended up writing a book. <laughs> well, exactly. It, 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 had, it had its ultimate purpose. How did you end up it in did. the Secret Service? So when I was in college, you have to apply nine months before graduation if you wanted to go straight into the Secret Service right out of college. And I did. I needed a job right out of college. So I started doing my research on federal agencies that allowed newbies like myself, somebody who just came from college, has really no law enforcement or military experience at all. And I discovered that the only two agencies that really hired with no experience was the NSA and the Secret Service. So I applied to both of those. And the paperwork is incredible. It is long, it is daunting, and it takes forever. But I applied to both of those and went through the process, went through both polygraphs and did not make it through the NSA after the polygraph. And that story is in the book as well. It's a, another comedy <laughs> part of my life where it's a big, I just like to laugh at my mistakes and learn from them. And that was one of the stories that I really learned the most about myself. And that is, again, hence the nickname Talkback Barbie. I'm not good at keeping my mouth shut. And during that polygraph, she kept questioning me with about my drug usage. And I had never done drugs at all in my life. And she kept questioning me and I didn't understand what she was doing and why she kept going on and on about this question that I knew I had never done. And so I started just telling her everything known to man. Oh, I painted in a closed garage. I watched my friends hand out their illegal prescription drugs in college. She's like, no, specifically to you. I mean, I just made up every story I could possibly think of that could maybe answer her question and come to find out long, like after a time, I ended up discovering that she really just wanted me to answer. No, I have never done drugs and left it at that. 
but I'm not good at that. I'm not good at short answers. I'm not good at, I wanted to explain myself and I wanted to tell them why I was right and why I didn't do drugs. And she had me all wrong, but that is not what they want. They want somebody who, because what happens if I'm undercover and I'm out there and they're like, this girl is going to give us up because she can't keep her mouth shut. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can't so put you in vice. No vice and narcotics for you. You can. You, we, we don't want you <laughs> exactly. to talk too much. We, we understand. I mean, unless they need somebody that they'll be like, that girl's too dumb to be an under, undercover officer. <laughs> so, what's the process of getting into the Secret Service? So the process is long. You fill out a federal form. It's called the SF eighty-five, I believe. It could have changed names or eighty-nine. And it's like a stack of paper, like this thick. I mean, it is everything in your background. If you've traveled internationally, every location you've ever lived at, they then they have to investigate your friends and your families and your neighbors. It is just a long process. Once they approve your application, you then will have to do a little test. So it's a reading and writing kind of comprehensive test. It has a little bit of math on it, has a little bit of just... So uh, questions that are just kind of like, can you spell this word correctly? Stuff like that. I didn't know what was on it uh, before the test. So I go in, I pass that. Once you pass that, you go through a situa situational awareness testing where they ask you and you have to think on the fly. It's like, what would you do if you are in a movie theater and there's a fire? How would you get everyone to exit the building? How would you get them to leave without causing a big scene? And you have to, on the fly, eloquently explain why you would do this and, and give them a good enough reason uh, how you could be interpreted correctly <laughs> or handle a situation under stress when you had to, you know, man a huge crowd. So th they, they did about three of those questions, I believe. And then after that, you had to do the polygraph which is a nightmare. I'm sure I, I take it you've done a polygraph before? I've done numerous, several of them. Actually, yes. I worked for two, two different agencies and I had to take polygraphs for both of them. Yes, and they're nightmares. I mean, you can have the most crystal clear background ever and you still feel like you are a failure. And I have a chapter that's called, uh, was it a liar? Let me see what it was. It's it, It's basically about being uh, in the, it's the polygraph, a druggie, a liar, or talking too much. And it's just really funny because that's how they make you feel. They make you feel that you are what they're telling you you are. So they could, if, they, if it's about the drugs, like what was my situation, they made me feel like I was a druggie, like I was a drug user and I had never done drugs in my life. And then there was, you know, other questions that they ask you and you just feel like this horrible person, even though you have the stark white record. So it is, it's very difficult. But once you pass the polygraph and you get through that nerve wracking uh, test, you are then accepted and you go to six months of federal law enforcement training. See, that that's a huge, huge difference. Even in the uh, law enforcement community, usually we mm -hmm. go 18 weeks, 24 weeks tops for right. um, a police academy. Which, I mean, and nowadays, a lot of them want college beforehand anyway. Um, and they prefer yeah. a criminal justice background. When I went in, it, they, they liked it when if you had a college background. or They liked it if you had a degree in criminal justice, but it wasn't necessary at that time. Mm -hmm. 
And you still went through, I think my first, uh, I believe my first one was probably 18 weeks long. Um, wow. When I went to yeah, the I mean, that's still a really long time, 18 weeks. And we did six months. So we had about three months at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, mm-hmm. Fletzy, down mm-hmm. in Glencoe, Georgia. And then we had another, it was probably a little less time at Fletzy than at JJRTC, which is the James J. Raleigh Center at, it's up in Maryland. Right. And so we did a little bit more there. So probably a little over three months, but it was a total of six months of federal law enforcement training. And it's intense. I mean, I had, I found a new person inside me when I got through that training. I wasn't that person when I entered and I left a completely different person. So right. it does change you. It, I've had friends of mine that went on to become uh, chiefs, assistant chiefs, chiefs and captains mm-hmm. and things that have gone through the FBI National Academy and they've come back on. This was nothing like their regular police academy when they had gone. Through. No, it's not. It, it really isn't. I mean, I think it's just it's extremely intense. And granted, it needs to be. I mean, you're protecting right. the president of the United States. It, But don't get me wrong. I'm not downplaying any law enforcement officer. Right. I mean, I respect law enforcement and the military more than anything, because to me, they're the most important people out there. I mean, they're the ones protecting us, our neighborhoods, our friends, our family. They're so important. And they don't, honestly, my personal opinion, they don't get paid enough for what they have to endure. And their life is in risk every, at risk every single day. And that, that's very hard. So my mom struggled with that, knowing that I wanted to go into this Mm -hmm. kind of field she was like, please don't do that. Like I, she didn't want me to do it. But at the same time, I, I just knew it was a desire of mine. Obviously my dreams changed. I'm obviously not in law enforcement now. I'm not doing any of that kind of stuff, but my dreams changed because I chose my family over that kind of life. And you obviously know it's very difficult shift work being called at any time. Your life is in danger. And I, if I was going to be the mom I wanted to be, I knew I wasn't going to be able to have both, both. I couldn't do that. It's, I do believe it's easier for a man and I'm not downplaying women in this career at all. You can do it. It's just that I chose, this is me personally. I chose to have a family over my career. So, and I know some people choose careers over. It doesn't matter. It's your personal choice. I respect that. I mean, it, the situation is, is any kind of law enforcement, whether it be from the state level, the local level um, or federal level, is very difficult on a family life. If you're single. Yes. Great. It's like exciting. It's motivating. It's inspirational. Yeah. You get to catch bad guys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you're adrenaline rush. But when you're when you have a family and you're thinking about that yes. constantly, it, it doesn't affect you as the officer at no matter what level you're at. That's and, correct. It, or agent, mm-hmm. um, as well as the individuals that are waiting at home for you. Um, I know. And it, that that bothered me a little bit. And I didn't want that. So I just, I made a decision and I went with it. And I I don't regret it. I think that it is when, when God gives you something as precious as a child, I just knew that I needed to be everything I could for him. And what's funny is he hears these stories about me being the secret service and he wants to be a police officer now. That's what he tells everybody. Or he wants to go in the military, he says, because he wants to fight. <laughs> hey, you've inspired and motivated your child. That's, that, that's so I'm like, you know, go go at it, buddy. Uh, that's very cool. But, you know, talking about secret service, um, 
most everybody's familiar with Secret Service because they do protect yes. the President of the United States. My first experience with Secret Service was I was actually uh, picked, you know, how when, they, when the President visits um, the city or something, yes. the, they vet officers to go work the detail um, mm -hmm. that escorts the, the, the motorcade and so forth to these different locations, as well as do the exterior security on that. I got picked twice. Uh, for that, which I was very happy about. That's really with, cool. Uh, George H.W. Bush. That's mm -hmm. how old I am. <laughs> and Ronald Reagan. Uh, Ronald Reagan and George H.W. Bush. That's really so cool. So on both of those, it was really outstanding because I got to see the Secret Service work from that perspective from the inside mm -hmm. out. I was on That's the same amazing. Floor. Yeah, it was, it was a, a highlight of my career, actually. Um, mm -hmm. One of the highlights of my career. I've got a couple of America's Most Wanted, so I, get, I have to put that up there too. That is I, even cooler. It's <laughs> I. I've been. I'm grateful for my career. I really am. Um, but I got to watch it from the inside out, and I got to see see that working from the inside mm -hmm. out. How the floors were protected. How the hotel top two levels or three levels of the hotel were taken yeah. um, completely over. You know, kind of a situation. Um, and I got to. I got to experience that. But the Secret Service doesn't only protect the United States uh, president. They also, they have, they do the trade, uh, they work with the Treasury yeah. Department and they do other things, correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. And the Eisenhower building, which is right beside the White House up there as well. So mm -hmm. they do, they protect the Treasury Eisenhower and the White House, obviously the VP residency as well, and the foreign mission branches all around DC. So I was, actually a uniform division officer. So I was stationed at the White House. So I, my one regret with the Secret Service that I have to say is I, because I was newly married, I declined traveling. And I really wish I had gone on a couple of trips. I, it, it's just, I was married young. I wanted to be at home. It was just, again, it was just this tug of war with personal life versus your career. And Looking back, that was the biggest mistake I made. I should have gone and gone on these trips and traveled. Now, the positive side is that on these trips, a lot, this is why there's a high divorce rate within law enforcement is because on these trips, there's a lot of cheating going on. <laughs> right. So I'm very glad I didn't get involved in any of that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I missed the opportunities to be able to travel to different states to figure out or different locations internationally, wherever they were going, to figure out and really see firsthand how they vetted and how they really secured the parameters. Right. That's an interesting process. I mean, that, I, I would have enjoyed that completely myself. I would have enjoyed that as yeah. well. Well, my friends would come back and tell me all the stories and tell me all about it and how they changed, did this and investigated that and went to you know the 12th story here to make sure that there are no access to snipers anywhere and you know had to get the best views of everything and it was really cool it's very cool very cool very cool um are, are most people that work for the secret service i know that the guys that protect or the guys when i say guys i mean the women and the men that protect mm -hmm. the the president the vice president are obviously in a suit they're not uniformed um when they correct the agents are in suits mm -hmm. the agents are in suits so what's the difference between the uniform and the agent and and the capital Capitol Police. Yeah, the Capitol Police is completely separate. They are not um, with the Secret Service at all. So the agents are the ones in suits, and they travel all the time. So they're they're at different locations 
all the time. They're the ones who are usually closer to the president as well. They're the ones usually driving the motorcade. So the uniform division are the officers that are stationed. So if you go to the White House, they have all these posts around the White House and different footbeats and stuff like that. Those are uniform division officers. They're not in suits. They're in white collared shirt, button down collared shirts, short sleeve or long sleeve, depending on the weather and black polyester pants and boots, usually sunglasses and a hat. So those are uniform division officers up at the White House. And that's who I was when I was working at the Secret Service. But that doesn't mean I couldn't go and protect the president as well. I had some posts outside uh, on the South Lawn where I was stationed and that was where Air Force One would pick up the president. So I was there when the president would walk by to board Air Force One or to walk his dogs, anything like that. So I did get to see the president. It just wasn't, I wasn't manning him like the agents would. You see the agents outside of when they get out of the limo, the agents are standing there vetting and making sure nobody suspicious is around. Those are the agents. So that's the difference. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a very, it's a distinct difference, but it's all one team. Yes. Oh, no, totally one yeah, team. Absolutely. Oh, we absolutely. work together. Yeah. Now, sometimes the agents would come, like if we had a big event at the White House, agents would come and stand and man post right beside us. So they would be doing the exact same thing as us. They would just be in suits and we would be in our uniform. So the same team, we work together for the same mission, obviously protect our country and protect the United president of the United States. Yeah, that's that's um, an outstanding job. So obviously, thank you for doing that. That's, thank uh, you. It was an incredible experience. I have to say, it's something that not many people can do, but I had a whole different take on it. Right. I was in a whole, put in a whole different light. I just was, it wasn't, people discriminated against me based on the way I looked. They didn't think I could do it. They didn't think it was going to be possible. They really tried to, I had a technician who tried to pretty much the minute he laid eyes on me, I hadn't even spoken yet. He tried to get me kicked out of the secret service. He was like, she is not going to pass training. She is not going to graduate. She is not cut out to be a uniform division officer. So I had these huge obstacles put in front of me before I even started. And the problem is I already had a lot of obstacles. I had to pass shooting. I had to pass physical training requirements. I had all the stuff I had to pass, and yet he's giving me even more obstacles and more things to fight for so that I could graduate and carry a badge and gun and work for the president of the United States. So it was it was definitely very challenging, and I discovered a lot about myself that I'm a, I'm a fighter. And the more you tell me no, the more I'm going to tell you, listen, I'm going to prove you wrong because I'm not going to let you tell me that I can't do something. The minute someone says that, I'm like, okay. Let me prove you wrong. <laughs> well, you know, that, that makes you a strong woman. It makes you a strong person. And it makes you a strong cop uh, all, all the way around. Because, you know, I, I have two daughters. And I have taught my daughters to empower themselves, to be themselves, and to not let anyone yep. stand in their way. And, you know, I, I in this in law enforcement, unfortunately, um, especially back when I was a cop. I mean, I've retired for a little while now. But um, and still to this day... Excuse me. There's a stigma still around female wearing a badge and a gun. And there That's are still correct. these, and I'm probably going to get in trouble for this, um, but it, there are still these, these the old school cops 
who don't believe that women should be in law enforcement, and it's really right. a shame. They're, they're finally being weeded out, and they're being retired, and they're being, they're being pushed aside you know, for, the, for a new generation yeah. of individuals. Uh, so many people, Phoenix has a female police chief uh, who I've met several times, uh, wonderful woman, wonderful police chief. Um, she, not only is she a woman, she's black. And yeah. she struggled to get to that job. She worked for the Phoenix PD as a cop, a street cop. Yes. She went to Oakland for a while. She worked her butt off in Oakland. And then when they had an opening here, she came back. She she became, um, she had left here as a sergeant, went to Oakland, and then came back. Yeah. And uh, when she came back, there was room for her to start moving up. That's great. Because the people that were standing in her way before had retired and moved on. Right. And, you know, I've had partners that were female that were, I'd get in a fight with somebody and I had female partners that were down there with me and mm -hmm. I had male cops who were standing over there looking for their flashlight. I won't mention <laughs> no, any names. Love it. <laughs> right. No, no names. My book has no names in it either. I have funny titles for them. That's it. Exactly. But I get it. It, it, it yeah, is it, hard. It's, it, it's hard. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is, it's hard to think about me taking on a 200, 300 pound person. Obviously I will need help. That's why you have partners and you have backup okay. because of that reason. But it's not to say that we still can't do that. We can't, we can still accomplish the same things. For instance, in the book, I tell a story about when I'm doing the shooting ranges. And uh, it's really funny because based on, so we would be put in like very stressful environments and have to shoot at the different targets and drop a gun, reload, drop a magazine, go and go to different stations to shoot. Well, in those environments, women actually did better and got better ratings than the men did. Whereas if we were just standing on the shooting range, the men did better just staying on the shoot, standing on the shooting range, shooting at a, a target that's just right. sitting there. Where women were better under stress and were, I guess, more confident. I only had one other girl in my, my training class. So for us, it was just us two. And we seemed to do better and get better scores when we were in stressful situations, which is very, I mean, it's very interesting to think of that. So yeah. women sometimes can handle stressful situations better than men can. Maybe we can think on our toes a little bit faster. And I'm not categorizing. I'm not saying right. this is everybody. I'm just saying it seemed like, based on my experience, in the secret service with my class that it was women handled stressful situations a little bit better than the men did where the men handled just the training better, if that makes sense. Well, it does make a lot of sense. I mean, if men are taught to react, um, and react quickly and it, not just as a cop, you know, you get right. anger shows up quicker, temper shows up right. quicker, um, this kind of things and women tend to think about it beforehand. They think of options and they strategize a little better, I think, than men in certain situations. So right. Kudos. We try to. I mean, we have to balance life, work, children, exactly. <laughs> dinner, exactly. putting dinner on the plate, at table at okay. night. So let's, you had mentioned this a couple of times already, but let's get more detail about your uh, reputation as Talkback Barbie. Of course. Oh, Lord. My reputation is Talkback Barbie. As you can see, it's me. I've Since I was in high school, well, gosh, elementary school for that matter, I would get kicked out of class all the time for talking. 
I would interrupt the teacher. I'd be talking in the back of the classroom, not listening. My mouth was constantly getting me in trouble <laughs> and it never changed when I went into the secret service. I went, it wasn't very smart of me because I went into a military environment where you're supposed to say, yes, sir, no, sir. And I went in thinking that it was okay to question officers and sergeants when, and technicians when they were telling me to do something. Now, granted, if you read the stories in my book, they're hilarious, but I was right to question him because he was actually wrong. But the problem is, is that I never know the right time to be able to do that. You can't just all always question everybody. Sometimes it's easy and better to just sit there and say, yes, sir, and go about your business. Well, I was not good at that. So I was constantly writing memos and talking back. And in this instance, after they, my class was doing another training session, they heard the sergeant or the technician yelling at me half a mile away. They, after that, dubbed me as Talkback Barbie. But it's funny because in the Gwinnett County Police Department, when I was interning, I worked for them. And they, the minute I walked in, they started nicknaming me Malibu Barbie. And every day when I would wear something different, they would call me some other name, Camo Barbie, Military Barbie, Funeral Barbie, if I was wearing a black dress that day, it didn't matter. So for some strange reason with law enforcement, I've always had the Barbie nickname and title. So nevertheless, the reason the book is titled Talk Back Barbie is because that was my legit nickname at the Secret Service. Everybody, when I was working there, and they probably still know the stories, I was titled Talkback Barbie. So people didn't even know me as Officer Lusby, which it changed to Fernandez, obviously, when I got married in the Secret Service. They knew me as Talkback Barbie. So before I had even started work at the White House, I went up to the gate to kind of get my bearings because I was going to start work the next day. I wanted to know where I was going for roll call. I didn't want to be late. It was my first day at the White House. I was very excited. And I go up to the gate and I asked the girl, hey, I'm Officer Lesby. Uh, can I have, you know, can you help me with where I'm supposed to go for roll call tomorrow? You know, I'm just talking to her. And she goes, what's your name? And I was like, Officer Lauren Lesby, class 177. She goes, oh my gosh, I know who you are. She goes, you're Talkback Barbie. She had never met me, seen me. She just knew Officer Lesby was Talkback Barbie. And that's what they knew me as. So <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> your reputation preceded you. It did, unfortunately. The great thing is, even though that was my nickname, I didn't let the nickname define me. You could look at it as it's, it's a negative title. You could feel insulted by the nickname. I took it and ran with it. I love the title. I love the nickname because it does define me. It defines me because I do love to talk and I love to talk to people. And yes, sometimes people might think I look like a Barbie doll, but I don't care. They're, they're going to find out that once they get to know me, they, they will never judge a book by its cover again, because I am the complete opposite of what you would consider a Barbie to be. I am tough as nails. I've got super thick skin. I never cry unless it's something super detrimental. I am tough as they come. And it's just really funny because people will judge a book by its cover and, you know, Nickname Talkback Barbie. And then they get to know me and they're like, you are nothing like that at all. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Well, you know, Barbie is known worldwide. So, yes, it is. You have that in the corner, right? So now, Talk I, do, Barbie, I do. With your new book, will be known worldwide. 
How long I'm did hoping. You stay? I'm shooting for it. How long did you stay at the White House? I was only there for a year and a half. So I wasn't in the Secret Service very long. And that was my second mistake. I left the Secret Service too fast. I was bored. Like we talked about with all the pranks and the jokes and what you do in your downtime. Because people think Secret Service, law enforcement, it's active all the time. You're chasing bad guys. You're doing all this stuff. Probably local law enforcement is more active than Secret Service. So we're trapped in these boxes, rotating posts. And if the White House is being protected correctly, then there's nothing going on and you're bored. So I was bored. I would get in trouble all the time for falling asleep on post because you shift work. You're rotating all the time. You're working 12 hour shifts. I mean, it is it is monotonous. So I got bored and I jumped at the first opportunity right outside, right beside the White House, near the White House, actually. And I took a job with a law firm and that was a huge mistake. So I should not have done that. I should have stayed in the Secret Service and waited to get a government consulting job, which is ultimately what I wanted to use my clearance for. But I jumped at the opportunity because I was tired and bored and I wanted regular routine and I wanted to be home for the holidays. I, you work all every single holiday. I could never see my family on holidays. Yeah. Your, your vacation could be canceled in a heartbeat. Your days off could be canceled. Did not matter. They did not care. And I, it, it wears you down. I was there for literally a year, but you, you are worn down. It aged me probably five or 10 years just in that one year of work because of you're not, you're not eating regularly. You're not eating healthy because you're just trying to grab and go. Your shift works. So you're not getting consistent sleep. You're not working out consistently. It's just terrible on your body. So I really, that's why I really admire people in law enforcement who are doing this till retirement. It's a ton. It's a lot on your body, your family, yeah. like we talked about before. It's a lot. Takes a toll. I, I re it mm -hmm. well almost seventeen years for me. Um, the shift work, the having to leave my dinner, yes. leave my lunch, uh, yep. not having a moment to eat my lunch or dinner in peace because somebody's constantly walking up and going, "Hey, I got this right. ticket," or "Can you help me with this?" or "My neighbor's doing this. What mm -hmm. do I do?" You're right. Like, uh, I'm trying to eat lunch or I'm trying to eat breakfast or I'm trying to eat right. dinner, you know, because like, plus, plus you also have, well, I, I this is your story and I'm, I'm throwing into this because it just brought back okay. my memories. I can't tell you how many restaurants that we walked in with my family and we sat down and I look up and see the cook and I go, we're leaving. And my wife goes, another one that you were arrested? Yes. Oh, because no. Yeah, you see, you I, you see somebody you arrested that works in the restaurant. Well, I'm not going to. And they remember I mean, you. Yeah. So I'm not going <laughs> to sit there. And, they're never going to forget. <laughs> so I, I shut down a pizza hut once. <laughs> oh uh, the driver God. had a warrant. So he arrested the drivers. They called the, somebody to come pick up the money. They showed up to pick up the money. They had a suspended driver's license. Um, said, you need to send somebody else down. Sent the wow. assistant manager down. Assistant manager had a warrant. Um, all the way up to the manager, uh, arrested every person from that pizza hut, which was then off limits to most cops and within that, like, I don't know, 25 mile radius, because they went, you oh. know, you shut down the whole restaurant. But right. It, you know, I just I'd be afraid they'd come after me or shoot me or I don't know. <laughs> it was like, my gosh, man, cool. can you just, just send somebody down that doesn't have a warrant, that's got a driver's license, you know, that, right. that is, you know, doing like they're supposed to. It, it's, it is hard on somebody. It's hard on it, the shift work. Is it is. Unbearable. 
But when I was uh, young without, without children, it was so easy yeah. to just focus on myself and be like, I don't care. I want to go and do this career. I want to put my life in yeah. danger. You don't care because you're young and you're fearless and you can take on anything. Yeah. And I thought I could, and I did. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I proved so much to myself and to others that of something I could do that nobody thought I could do. I mean, everybody doubted that I was ever going to carry a badge and gun. I'll just tell you that right now, but I did it. But the thing is, is that it's just, it is, it's just hard. And the older you get, the more you see of life, you start to realize I'm still fearless in a way, but you are still more cautious. You think things through a little bit more. You, it's just age. That's what you do. You grow up, you mature when you're young. It's like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) I can do whatever. I'll survive anything, but you don't, yeah. you know, you can't. We still so. we yeah, it it's age wisdom, wisdom has its benefits. We'll yes, just, it does. We'll just put it that way. So what motivated you to write this book, Talk Back Barbie, the Secret Service Edition? My dad. So my dad really motivated me to write the book. So about five years ago, he was like, Lauren, I think you should write a book. You have an amazing story. You did something that not many women can say they did. And not to mention, not only did I do get into the Secret Service, but it was my story working for the Secret Service that was so powerful with me being discriminated against and being called a Barbie. And just my story was very powerful. And I was like, Dad, that's never going to happen. I'm never going to write a book. It's impossible. It's too much work. And I don't have anything to say. I don't have any... I don't have enough content to put into a book. So fast forward and about a year and a half ago, we were down in Florida and I'm just sitting there and I looked at myself and we were, had some downtime. It was storming. And I was like, I'm going to write a book. So I just started typing, typing all my thoughts, my notes, stories, whatever could come to mind, just kind of, you know, outlining. And it just took off. And the minute I set my mind to something, I have to do it. And so the minute I started, I just continued. And it took me a little over a year. I hired a professional editor who came in and helped me. I wrote the whole book myself. And then he came in and helped me edit it. So I had chapters, everything done, and then he made it better. So I did make this, the book based on a true story. So there is fictional stuff in there to, for the reader's enjoyment and laughter. I really want people to laugh and be laugh at me with me. I don't care. I don't care which way it is. You can laugh. I just want you to laugh and just discover a whole different light of law enforcement. It's just a totally different take. It's a comedy. It's about laughter, but it's educational too. It's showing what I went through and how hard I had to fight for what I wanted. Well, it's a unique, it's a unique approach actually to telling your story instead of saying, like a memoir type or a biography type. It, it's a also uh, everyone it's a keeps telling approach. me. Everyone keeps telling me that they're like, this should be a memoir. And I was, I told him, I go, I don't want a memoir though. Memoirs to me, they they can be great books, but I didn't Mm -hmm. want it. I wanted it to be funny and humorous because all the other secret service books out there are so serious and they're about the career and what they did and who they protected. Mm -hmm. And this is a totally different light. And I wanted something that would inspire women who are going to go into this, inspire teenagers who don't know what to do with their lives. Even if they don't go into law enforcement, it inspires you to fight for what you want and to fight for you, yourself, and not to let a name or a nickname define who you are. 
So yeah. there's just so many takeaways from it from the book. So the from the comedic from the let me try that in English. From the comedic perspective, um, t- give us just a little taste of what's inside the book. <laughs> from the comedy side? Sure. Oh, man. Okay, well, I can... Why don't I read you a couple chapter titles and you'll you'll figure out some of uh, the comedy in the book. So a lot of the titles have to do with Barbie, obviously. But there's Rustle Yourself Some Respect, Kiss My Ass and Company, Surfin' Sir Barbie, Demi Moore Ain't Got Nothing on Me, Talkback Barbie Graduates, Driving Miss Barbie, and the list goes on and on and on. And that's just a little, I wanted it to just be funny and making fun of myself a lot. So there's a bunch of stories I could go into about the book, but one of them that I think is, will hit the nail on the head is that I was working a footbeat outside the White House on the south side of the White House. And an Asian man came up to me and started taking my picture. And I was annoyed. And I had already had an incident where I found my picture on Flickr, which I don't know if you remember what Flickr was. I don't even think it exists anymore, but it's a website where people just post random, random pictures. And lo and behold, my picture was found on there. And so when I was working at the Secret Service, so this guy starts taking pictures of me and I'm like, sir, back up. You cannot take pictures of the Secret Service. He's like, oh, ma'am, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I thought I was taking pictures of a movie star. I thought you were an actress. And I'm like, okay, come on. (laughs) Yes. And so I told him, I said, this is a real gun and this is a real badge. I need you to step back and get away from me right now. Oh my gosh. He grabbed his camera and he ran as fast as he could. But again, the story is judging a book by its cover. He thought I was an actress and he didn't think I was real. And he didn't believe that I was a real secret service officer. So yeah. those are the typical stories that you're going to get in this book. It's a funny story. It's real, but it's just how my life was at the Secret Service. I was constantly, and I was constantly being picked on too. Did you have to get clearance to write any of it? Does it dealt with the Secret Service? So I didn't ask for any clearance because I did this based on a true story. So it's kind of fiction, kind of true story, but it's also, I wanted it to be based on a true story because of the clearance aspect, but I also Googled everything to make sure that if I could find it on the internet, it was public knowledge. And then I put it in the book. So I made sure that everything was unclassified. And if I could find it, then I put it in there. Well done. Well done. Yeah. But I know a lot of people who write books about the secret service. They have to, it takes years for them to get it cleared, but that's why mine is, is, fact and fiction mixed together so that I didn't have, so people don't really know what's true and what's fake. And I didn't use real post names or anything like that. I didn't use any people. Uh, I made up names for people in the book. So you didn't give any secrets away. I gave no secrets away. Nothing. Exactly. And, Except and for no, the secrets did. of my stupidity. <laughs> the, the, the FBI nor the secret service asked me to ask you that question. That comes just from me. Hey, that's fine. I've gotten that question before and I love it because it is true. I mean, people are scared. They're like, can I even interview her? She might give away some secrets and then I'm in trouble. (laughs) No, no, it's, it's, I, um, I've interviewed a seal actually. And, um, uh, that's not come out yet, but the, you know, we had to be very, very, very careful about what was said and then some of the missions and things like that. And what was yep. being talked about about his missions. And I understand that. I was in the military as well, wasn't mm-hmm. a SEAL, 
but I, I do understand what classified and what uh, unclassified is and what could be said and what can't be said because we don't want to put anybody in danger. We don't want to put anybody's no. life, whether it be their life or any of their colleagues' lives or coworkers' lives in danger right. or anybody else. So. No, exactly. I don't want to do that at all. And I went and worked for the National Counterterrorism Center after working with the Secret Service. And that was the same similar thing. I was looking up different groups I worked with and stuff. And we worked with classified information, but most of the time it was unclassified information. So the stuff that I did, I was able to write about in the book. So that was good. You had a very strong career in the government. That's. I did. I did. I worked for, well, I mean, not too long. I didn't work very long within the government. I What was it? Five and a half, six years about, because we ended up moving down here, back down to Georgia. Well, what you've done is is an amazing journey in itself. And the fact that you're a woman that achieved it is a very positive thing. Listen, it is, and I would never change a thing. That's why my husband always jokes with me, and he's like, are you sure you really want to put this book out there? People are going to think you're a blonde bimbo. And I'm like, let them think that. I don't care. I want to put my story out there because I learned about myself through my story, but I can also teach others that it's okay. We all make mistakes. We all do stupid things. We all are sometimes judged by, you know, you judge a book by its cover, but it's the fact that here I am almost 40 and I've learned from all these mistakes. I've grown from all these mistakes and I was able to write a book about it so that I could go back and figure out, Hey, I did this when I was young and stupid, but this is what I learned from it. This is how I grew from it. This is what I should have done, but didn't do. So it's just, it's a growing and learning experience that I want to share with other people and my readers and your viewers, because I think it's so powerful as a woman to go into the field that I went into to show that even though I was discriminated against, you can totally push through that. There, I look at discrimination and name calling and I turn around and I'm like, listen, turn that into something positive. If they're calling you a name, like in high school, somebody, somebody once called me a pig. Okay. Just because they wanted to hurt me. They didn't want it to be, they wanted to insult me. Okay. They didn't do it because I was fat or lazy or ate a lot. It was just because they wanted to hurt me. And I literally turned around and I said, thank you so much for calling me that. I love pigs. They're my favorite animals. I actually want to own one. And they looked at me and do you know, they never called me a pig again, ever. Yeah. It's kind of like, <laughs> open <Yeah>. your eyes. <laughs> That's funny. So it's just, it's, it's about owning it and turning it around in a positive light. And you don't have to look at anything really negatively if you turn it around correctly. And that's what the book's about too. Yeah, that's a, that's a good thing, actually. What's your next chapter in life? You're going to write another book? Does this inspire you? <laughs> I don't know. This was supposed to be one and done, but now I'm getting ideas and they're coming to my head. And I'm right now I'm just on a mission to promote the book. I'm, I'm working so hard to get it out there. I would love to get it into a TV show. That's my ultimate goal. So I'm working really, really hard to either turn it into a movie or TV show. So think Legally Blonde meets Miss Congeniality and you kind of get a feel for what I'm going for. A good family-friendly film, something the whole family can watch. I I don't know. I think there will be a number two, but right now I'm so focused on turning it into a film or getting it out there that I don't even know if I'll have time to write another book. I might have to hire a writer. <laughs> But, you know, if you, if you decide to turn it into a screenplay and a movie, um, you need to get a hold of me and I'll help you to learn to do that. I did screenwriting oh, I conferences that. for five years. I did uh, screenwriting conferences to tell people how to write screenplays in Las Vegas. Oh, I would love to work with you. 
Well, we have such a similar background. We can make it quirky and funny, but you could Absolutely. add in like more real law enforcement. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, or, or I just help you write your story because that's profound as well. Perfect. Talk, talk back, talk back. Barbie would make a fantastic legally blonde. I know the woman that wrote legally blonde. So do you, I do. That's amazing. Like, oh, I love that. Yeah. We, oh, well we, we need to, we need to get together. We need to work this out. I think it would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and her, her partner, uh, Karen Lutz and her partner, Kirsten, Kirsten Smith, um, both went on to write what 10 things I hate about you. Um, oh, I love that movie whole, too. Like 10 different movies, fantastic movies. Um, wow. but yeah, she, it, it, it'd be good. That'd be good. You have a life motto about tripping and falling. Yes, I do. I do. Basically, it says if you trip and fall, laugh first, and then get up and keep going. And the reason I say that is because laughter, I discovered after reading, writing this book, laughter is the best medicine. Laughter is going to get you through everything. Your mistakes, it increases your endorphins. It makes you feel like a happier person. Even if you are the saddest person on earth, if you can just burst out laughing at nothing, they say right there, your endorphins are increased and you already feel happier. And so that's my my goal in life is the book is awesome. It just sheds a lot on obviously females in the, in the workplace and male-dominated environments, but it sheds so much more than that. And it's just laugh. Laugh at your past, laugh at your mistakes, but keep going. Don't let anybody tell you that you can't do something. And that's pretty much the sum of Talkback Barbie. If you keep going and you don't let anybody tell you that you can't accomplish your dreams, then you know what? If you fail, it's on you. The only person it's on is you because you let other people tell you who you are and who you should be. And that if that's not you, then what good is that? So you need to tune that out or turn it into good positivity. Like I said, the nickname Talkback Barbie could be a bad thing, but I turned it into something positive. And if you can do that, you can accomplish anything that you want. Don't ever let anyone tell you you can't do it. I was going to ask you if there was one more thing that, uh, this is one more thing before you go. So if there was anything else that you felt was <laughs> words of wisdom, you just gave us words of wisdom. I did. I'm sorry. That was a long-winded answer, oh, right? <laughs> no, no, no. But that's okay. This works. Um, this is a conversation. This is, this is great. So let's talk about how somebody can find Talk Back Barbie, the secret service edition. Everything is on my website. So if you just go to www.talkbackbarbie.com, you will find everything you need to know about me, all my social media handles. Everything's pretty much Talk Back Barbie. You can shoot me an email at talkbackbarbie at gmail.com. Everything's on my website, past interviews, past podcasts, past, past TV shows. Everything's on there. Pictures of me in the Secret Service. If you want to see a few of those, you can go on there and find it. That's fantastic. Lauren, I want to thank you for um, being on One More Thing Before You Go, for sharing your journey and your wisdom with everybody. So I, um, I appreciate everything that you've accomplished. I appreciate you as a father. Um, I think your father would be very, very proud of you for what you've done, where you've accomplished, and where you've come from. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening to this episode of One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life. 
If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website at beforeyougopodcast.com. That's beforeyougopodcast.com. Tell your story, share your expertise, contribute to the blog, and subscribe to the newsletter. You can find us as well as subscribe to the program and rate us on your favorite podcast listening platform. And one more thing before you go. Have a nice day, have a nice week, and thanks for listening. One More Thing Before You Go, a unique conversation about life podcast, is a creation of One More Thing Productions, established 2010, all rights reserved.